Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Music again. It is about oh, nearly two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock on Sunday morning. You're on 3RRR. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxshaw. And I'm Cade Mills. And it's not just Sunday morning, Anth. No, you're right. It's some special Sunday, apparently, Cade. Yeah, well, the Bells final is on. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> so That's right? exactly so right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's Easter. Happy Easter, people. Oh, and to, and to Tim, I have to apologise. I did not listen to Tim this morning because I was busy watching the surfing. Um, oh, yeah, we'll come. Podcasted life, yes. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But, yeah, well, Tim gave a, a, a performance that would have actually won him the bell. He would have got the bell. <laughs> today it was a gong it was a beauty it was he was he was on top he was out front he got he got priority in every single bloody um track he played it was brilliant and then we just dropped in on him (laughs) we just dropped in on him right at the end (laughs) but we will certainly not be taking the prize because he always takes the prize thank you tim we uh we loved him from the bottom of our hearts and are you well young Cade? I'm very well. I've actually had three days in a row of surfing. Oh. I took the Thursday off before and sort of in line with the Bells comp, you know, have a little bit of a rest here and there and then wait for the conditions to get good and get out amongst it. And um, yeah, for those that don't know, I've moved to Phillip Island. So I've kind of got the – it's great. I've got one half of Melbourne's come to Phillip Island, the other half's gone over to Bells, it seems. Um, <laughs> and I love seeing all these people out in the water. It's fantastic. We have a um, we're an enormous show today. Actually, we're going to talk about. Well, clearly, you may have got a sense. We're going to talk about surfing. We're going to talk about bells because bells is a, a stunning Easter tradition in this part of the world. We'll just touch on a couple of things. We had hope to be bringing a um, an interview with a sp- surprise special guest surfer, but that fell through at the last minute, unfortunately. Um, so we but we have a lot of very cool stuff to to focus on, particularly because it's finals day. And uh, the semis have already happened. So anyway, we'll come back to that. Um, the um, and then because it's Easter, we're going to talk about eggs. Yeah, look, it was one of those things. I thought it's Easter Sunday. I'll just you know dip into a bit of literature and do a little sh- segment on eggs. And then I realised how complex, how difficult to understand, <laughs> and how much work it would be just to put together this little bit of fun. But you know the thing you that I guess anyway. got me started. Yeah, well, I was thinking, like, rabbits don't even lay eggs. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> well, frankly, neither do bilbies. But, you know, like, what no, the hell? True. You know. true. But uh, so I thought I'd dip into eggs in the marine environment and nice. sort of – and I could say, look, I haven't even dipped a toe in there. I'd be lucky to get a nail in to the <laughs> amount of work that's been done in that space. But we're going to have a bit of chat and have a bit of fun around that topic. And then um, Jeff Maynard is coming in. He'll be in – I'm hoping – um, he'll be in by the end of the show because he's going to do an entire slot. And if he's not here, then I can't fill. You know, like I can't <laughs> pretend to be Jeff. So I'm no. pretty sure he's on his way. And he's got some sensational stuff. Yet again, we're, we're, for those who haven't been following, this year's Marine Soundwaves sound is all about the history of diving um, told through snippets from James Bond movies, as of course you do. 
you know, that's what historians of of the caliber of Jeff do. They find ways to tell history in incredibly interesting um, ways. So that'll be fantastic. There's there's three or four little great little snippets there um, that I'm sure you'll all love. Um, but before we go any further, and and um, we want to touch on a couple of things, I um I got the weather, uh, and so I'll let people know it's a bit of a weird one. Look, I'm gonna I'm just this is why they've started early at Bells, I reckon, because so it's going to be in Melbourne. It's mostly sunny, wind easing, okay? Possible rain, 40% chance, maximum 28. So it's a north-northwesterly at the minute, gusting up to seven knots. Mostly sunny morning. Yeah, perfect, exactly. Mostly sunny morning, cloud increasing during the afternoon, evening, medium chance of shower. This is the bit where it gets interesting. Um, Developing the evening, winds northerly 30 to 45 knots. Isn't that that's blowing, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. so, um, and sunset is at 5.52. It's got a five in front of it now. Yeah. Uh, then tomorrow, and this is where it gets a bit weird. Tomorrow, cloudy, very high chance of rain. Light winds becoming south to southeasterly, 15 to 20 in the early afternoon, then becoming light in the late evening. No wonder they want to knock bells off today. Yeah, I can understand <laughs> that too. Um, and it's a waning gibbous tomorrow, just so you know. Tuesday... Uh, cloudy, high chance of rain, easing to showers, uh, and what's that, 16, Monday's 19. I was going to go to the footy, maybe not. 70% <laughs> chance of rain on Wednesday, 20. Uh, what have we got, Thursday, we've got 50% chance, 17. So we're looking like a rainy week. Ooh. And then yep. next Saturday, you're going to cop this, 9 to 19. So I can, yeah, well, you know. it's, it's happening, isn't it? Yeah. I, this is a false summer that we're having right now. It is, think, isn't it? Um, get out and enjoy it while you can, just like the people at Bell's, eh? Absolutely. Hey, now, um, you wanted to recognise uh, a, a, a great local legend, let's just say. I certainly did. So a few people might have um, seen the news last weekend, so on, the, on Saturday the 9th of April, a diver actually passed away while out diving out of Queenscliff. So it was actually from a medical condition. And that diver was Trent Williams. And so Trent is someone that I've mm. had um, the pleasure of being involved with some of the stuff that he does, but he's also got many photos out there of him in great Victorian fish count shirts. Um, he's a supporter of everything. He's a marine educator. He was a marine educator, a.k.a. Seaweed, seaweed Stevie. Seaweed Stevie. He went by, yes. Um, he lived up to that too, but he was... I think the thing that was very dear to him was he was a Sea Shepherd volunteer and he was a very active part of the Sea Shepherd marine debris team. So he, if there was a clean-up, he was there, basically, and he yeah. was a part of it, a lot in Melbourne and also in Lakes. And he was just a lover of you know all things wet and salty, just like our show. Yeah. Um, he was an outrageous flirt with everyone, which was a positive thing. He would just bring this <laughs> bundle of energy with him you know, that sort of twinkle in his eye and a great vibe to anything and everything that he did. Um, you know, he was a passionate supporter of everything and everyone that had anything to do with our marine life and our oceans. He introduced many people to his love of the ocean and basically they walked away inspired every time they came across him. Um, look, our thoughts go out to his Trent's family and everyone, you know, who shared a smile or a laugh or a wink with him. No, follow Trent. We'll miss you, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well said. Um, and it's as you and I both know, much of what happens in the marine and coastal sector really relies on just the passion of dedicated volunteers. 
people who throw themselves into stuff that they love and that's why we love it. That's why, you know, I think that anything really honestly ever gets done around here. And it is, and I think we all cross paths too. Like yeah. as, as many of us as there are, we all seem to cross paths and there's that one degree of separation between, you know, everyone that's involved in this space. And so a, a lot of people were affected by this who didn't even know Trent. It was just the fact that a diver, someone who loves the marine yeah. environment that much, you know, has, has now left us. So, no, you'll be missed, Trent. And it was his support has meant a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, thanks to everyone who's out there helping as well. Yeah, Valo, Trent. Mm. Um, now, we, we're, going to, we're going to move into... You don't have any other news, you know, news specifically, do you, Kate? Oh, look, I've just got one quick one. Yeah, no, go for if it. I can go. So yeah. there's been a lot of stuff, and this is in New South Wales, about weedy sea dragons washing up on the beach. I, now, yeah, I don't I know if you've seen this. I, I did, and I was going to raise this, so I'm glad you did. Yep. Oh, okay. Yes. And um, it's one of those things. I'm involved in some projects around weedy sea dragons, and there's one called Sea Dragon Search, which is using photos to identify individuals from around the country, so from WA to New South Wales. But what has happened with all that recent weather, you know, that was off New South Wales, so we had massive rainfall. Yeah, I love the huge way seas. that weather. You just have to say, you know, that weather. You know that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was. That, it was like that, wasn't it? Well, pretty much. If it wasn't Queensland, it was New South Wales. But what has been noticed, and by people sort of beachcombing, is just a huge number of sea dragons washing up. So it was estimated it's like ten times more than usual. And so the one thing I saw, so Professor Dave Booth, who's the sort of the person you go to when it comes to weedy sea dragons, yeah. um, would say, look, it is basically just that combination of that runoff and that surf has just led to that. But it is concerning given that sea dragons don't move far. They have very small home ranges. And if you've potentially knocked out populations in these ranges, um, you know, it's they're going to go back and have a look and see, you know, what has happened there. And you may actually have local extinction as a result of that. Let's hope it's not like that. Yeah. But, yeah, we just have to be more aware. These, you know, climate events and these weather things are going to happen more frequently. And it's the impact is tangible now. We're seeing it with things yeah. like this. Yeah. And, and it's that you're absolutely right. The the um, It's those flow-on effects that kind of go, okay, there's a disaster. Lismore's completely underwater, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then as people are cleaning up, all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, and then we're – We've put that particular piece of biodiversity under threat or, you know, or, oh, gosh, there's a whole lot of stuff that would have washed out that may be toxic or, you know, there's a whole lot of these flow-on effects that people kind of start to, to realise. And I, I remember many, many years ago, Graham Pearson, when they started the whole syro climate change, um, you know, the atmospheric scientists in, in Australia and, the, and particularly in Hawaii and the US were saying, we think this is actually, you know, going to, do actually what it is now, <laughs> you know, in the, in the 70s and the 80s, and they were starting that. And one of the, when they came together and they were talking about it, they said one of the things that is likely to happen is the weather is likely to do what it is doing. They've been, they, were, they were unnervingly spot on. But one of the things that they did say is that when they talk to policymakers, they don't think anything will happen until it becomes tangible. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a lament at the time. And unfortunately, it was a spot on lament. Now, it's very much exactly what all those scientists said was happening 30, 40 years ago is happening. And all of a sudden, even, you know, the, 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 the parts of, you know, federal government that don't even believe in this stuff are suddenly having to act. And so, yeah, it, it's, 
you know, hopefully most of them can act fast enough and get things done. But yeah, I did see that. And I did also think of that as a signal of climate change. Yeah. And I think like I'm guilty of it too, with just not, I don't know whether being aware or just sort of thinking of these consequences of climate change being something like that. Like yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. you know, you look at the bigger picture with that yeah. and you don't, now there's small pictures, like these small things are really starting to become obvious. And as you said, tangible people are seeing and you know, yeah. hopefully it's going to lead to action. Yeah, absolutely. And indeed, you are listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR and Kate. Uh, just before those couple of messages, we played, of course, Hounds Bells. Yes, we did. The song that, as the final kicks off, well, the men's or the women's final kicks off, that song is played over the national, the natural amphitheatre of Bells Beach and it gives tingles to everyone. Like, <laughs> how can you not get pumped up when that is playing, sitting on the beach and watching the, the best surfers tolls. in the world? And the, oh, yeah, brilliant. The, the, the sound of that bell just echoing over Bells Beach is so, just phenomenal. It's experience in itself. Yeah, absolutely. And so that will be happening today twice. Because I was just double-checking the men. Um, we've got the semis going on. The, the women's semis were held this morning. And for those who don't know, Tyler Wright is through. So it's Tyler Wright and Clarissa Moore in the semi, uh, which will be a bit later today. And then at the minute, it's Felipe Toledo and um, Ethan Ewing. Unfortunately, Felipe, for the, well, fortunately for the Brazilians, unfortunately for the massive Australian contingent, which, by the way, for those who don't know, we have four Australian, three Australians in the court, in the semis. So, you know, it'll be looking, honestly, the way I'm just looking at the current results, I think it'll be Felipe through playing either surfing against either Callum um, Robson and, or Jack Robinson, basically. But you, you, you saw the women's this morning. You had a look. I did. I. Well, as I mentioned, I wasn't listening to Tim, I'm afraid. I had the women's <laughs> on this morning watching and, yeah, you know, obviously rooting for Tyler Wright to get up and, you know, represent and also just love her surfing. She's just yeah. a phenomenal sort of surfer. And then, yeah, Felipe got up over Ethan. Um, oh, he has so got through. Finished, yeah. oh, and I at the moment the event is on hold until 10.30. Gotcha. So if you live within an hour of bells, you might be able to get down there just in time to hear that song ring over <laughs> <laughs> the And the thing was, too, there were so many people down there yesterday. I watched it yesterday. I yeah. came home from a surf and watched it yesterday and just the number of people down there. And I've heard Mick Fanning describe it's surfing's version of the MCG. Yeah. Walking oh, down is. those stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah out amongst that crowd and just that atmosphere that's there. And there's not, you know, not. I mean, obviously they get massive crowds in Hawaii. They get massive crowds in places, but there's not another one on the tour where you've got a natural amphitheatre with at least, the, you know, two of those stunning waves that you could at either end of it as well that, you know, gives you that sense of, of, of you know, kind of, of the MCG. Yeah, and the thing I'd never realised, and I've been listening to the commentary, is that everyone talks about those stairs. Um, now I've ran up and down those stairs a thousand times <laughs> as a kid and serving, but they become quite significant when the event's on. And I think part of that is they have the names of the previous winners along the yeah. stairs up the side as they sort of go up. And I think it's just a reminder of the history of yeah. the event. And, you know, the fact it's been around for 59 years, like it's the longest um, surf comp or the oldest surf comp in the world. Yeah, and so uh, yeah. so, so um, you so you saw the semi. So it's a, it's about a, a um, one and a half to two meter swell. At least that was this morning for Tyler's semi. And so um, is it clean? Because I haven't had a chance to see the what it looks like. 
And it's been really clean. That northwesterly mm. wind is yeah. what you want for bells. That's the perfect wind for bells to have that northwest. I think at the moment it's um, it's the tide more than anything. So the tide's yeah. starting to fill in. So we're getting a higher tide. Yeah. And just with the size of that swell, the consistency wasn't there for the last heat. So Felipe and um, Ethan Ewing, Ethan, I think, only got one wave for the whole thing. We just wasn't able to really, it was getting, wasn't really able to get into it. There was a bit inconsistent. Ooh, so I think yeah. they're going to wait for that swell to, oh, that, sorry, that tide to perhaps max out and then, and then start to drop. And, yep. Yeah, but I think at the same time, they're going to be watching the weather that you mentioned, just going, oh, what's happening know, down I the know. coast? Like, you know, know. They'll be looking at the weather stations in Joanna and further <laughs> down the coast to see what's going on hey, there. It's really interesting, actually, because you're right, because Tyler and, um, was it Courtney, got, they got 11 waves. And they're all that they all look like good waves, you know, like you can see and, and they've scored pretty highly. So it's up in the fourteens and thirteens, their scores. And then Felipe and Ethan's semi, you know, like you said, there's six total waves. Ethan only really scored on one and Felipe's got on two. And you know, they're in the tens and the fours and you know, like it's obviously there's you know, that's dropped a bit. Hey, it, you know, it is wonderful. And as you talk about moving, I mean, you know, because they do this is the wonderful thing about bells too, is that you know, or if bells are not working they just go to the other point and go winky pop if that's not working then they just kind of head up or down the coast and i remember a few years back oh many years ago 25 years ago i was camping at joanna with a mate of mine and we're just camping and just hanging out doing a bit of walking and surfing and whatever and then we wake up on the sunday morning we're like what the hell has happened this hundreds of people have turned up like in joanna and we're just kind of going this is bizarre and of course they just moved bells because they hadn't had waves for four days and there was probably a good clean one and a half metre swell at Joanna and so they just kind of, oh, we'll just up and pick up the whole tournament and move and so we just sat there went, great, so we got to see it that day but it, that's the wonderful thing about that and they've moved as far as where you are now Phillip Island past, haven't they? Yeah, and I've been caught out too, so I've worked <laughs> at Fisheries in Queenscliff a bit and we used to have what we would call board meetings, which is everyone would we go, go, surfing, right. and go for a surf <laughs> and we decided to do that one day and head to 13th and you just couldn't get a bar and then you look across and there's Kelly Slater running through the car park and Mick Fanning and you're just like, hang on, something's going on here. <laughs> yeah, you end up just down the beach a little bit and the thing, the other thing about bells that I think is quite special is that mix of the people on the surface. Yeah. So what you'll see, if you watch the footage, you'll see them sitting out of bells but if you look behind them, there's guys out surfing out the back actually just surfing around the corner at centre side. And, like, yeah. I've been one of those guys. I go down. My wife loves sitting on the beach watching the surfers. I think she particularly likes watching Kelly Slater. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it's the surfing that does it for her. But hey, she Kelly loves... Slater, look, you know, to be honest, Kelly Slater is a very attractive man. He certainly he is. He is a but very she, attractive man. Yeah. But she <laughs> loves being down there. So I'll take my board and I'll actually, like, I've gone for a surf at centre side while the comp is on uh, yeah. and been walking around the point and you've yeah. got Kelly and, again, Mick Fanning heading out to their heat just saying, oh, g'day, mate, how you doing? Yeah. And there's John John Florence. Oh, hey. Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think those interactions and then, like, yeah. you have the, often have the grommies down there, so the young kids carrying the surfboards for them and helping out <laughs> and, like, they involve the community around it and it's managed to maintain that sort of ethos around it and i think that's why the bell itself is yeah. the most prestigious and prized trophy that you can get and so much so that one of the female surfers actually has a tattoo of the bell that she won <gasps> <laughs> yeah. that is sensational now to the final we're just gonna so you think they're so they'll continue with the other semi men's semi um at about 10 30 
which is the two Australians. It's Australia versus Australia. So Callum versus Jack Robinson. Callum Rob- Robson and Jack Robertson. Who's going to win out of those two? The Australian ant. Yeah, thanks. I actually <laughs> think I'm going to. I'm. I'm going Jack Robinson. Until I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, well, then I'll go Callum. Just to make it <laughs> and I reckon that means the final will be Felipe. Toledo versus Jack Robinson, which I think a lot of people would have thought. I mean, once our our Japanese favourite friend was out, you know, like it's probably likely. But anyway, so and then the women. I think the way it'll run is the men's semi will be on, then the women's final will be on, and then the men's final, if they can still get away, um, will be on later today. Most likely, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yep. So who's going to win, Tyler Wright, Clarissa Moore? I'm going for Tyler. I love watching Tyler surf. So, it's he's amazing. Just so fluent and dynamic know. and then just powerful as well. Like it's absolutely sensational. I, I was watching a clip on the on TV the other day and I was just like, the way she turns, I don't, like I'm not a big surfer, but when you see her turn, you see the art in it. Like she's just, like you said, it's fluid. It's just like, it's like, it's like a dance. Oh, and it All almost way. makes me want to give up surfing when I see them surf. Like, I grew up surfing down there, yeah. surfing at Bells, and I thought I was doing okay. And then you see them come out, and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. Like that's It's so many levels above. Like all elite sportsmen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like the, the level above is just phenomenal. It just yeah. makes you look at that surf break completely differently. Yeah, it's very true. Hey, so, of course, Bells, um, we love it. It's Easter, um, and, you know, we'll, we'll try and... Well, probably will next week. We'll, you know, well, you'll hear the results. The results will be done by the end of the day, and that bell will have rung out. So Hell's Bells will have played twice, and then they will probably, the winner will ding their own bell, um, as they do over their head, um, when they win it later today. And hopefully, it's going to be two Australians. It's certainly going to be. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah. they've both got good chances. Um, You're on Radio Marinara. It's about half past nine. It's 30 minutes to the doctors. The doctors are starting to line up. They're lining their surfboards up. Um, today, because they're in keeping with the whole theme. Oh, of course, um, it's good for morning. mental health too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinara en tres triple R. About um, we've got about eight minutes to talk about eggs, um, or maybe ten. I don't know. It depends how oh. we go, Cade. But um, tell me, it's Easter, and you've been looking into eggs. It is. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, little did I realise how complex this um, subject is when it comes to the marine environment. Um, So look, I thought I'd bring myself up to speed and let the listener enjoy some tales about eggs and possibly go off on a few tangents while we're at it. Okay. So you've got a choice to be reborn. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And start your life again as an egg. Okay. Would you rather be a coral egg? Ooh. A nudibranch egg Ooh. or a fish egg? I would rather be... So I don't see. So you've given me no criteria here, so I'm just going with my preference. I'd rather be a nudibranch egg because then I'd become a nudibranch and I'd be beautiful. <laughs> that is actually quite a good answer. It is purely I brought it up just to talk about the chances of survival. Oh, okay. So Have I picked the one that's got the least chance? <laughs> well... And as in all good science, it depends. <laughs> okay. It's the answer. Yep. Um, so coral, you know, released like a couple of million eggs and they and it's estimated that like one to two of them survive. Yeah. So, you know, you've you've actually got less chance of winning lotto. So, you know, yep. it's a coral polyp, you're doing yep. all right. So the nudibranch eggs, similar. They 
have probably hundreds of eggs. Like you'll see they lay them in sort of all different ways and then the nudibranchs hatch out. The beauty of them is that they can actually lay the eggs close to the food. So there's one that's very common in Victoria called Verconia verconis. Ah, oh, Verco's nudibranch. I love it. My favourite. No, not the Verco. Oh, I beg your this is No, Verconia verconis. Oh, Sounds similar. It does. But it's a, it's a pink spiky nudibranch that is found on and in a pink spiky sponge. Oh. So... They, the camouflage is incredible, but what it does is it lays the eggs on the food source, and so the nudibranchs come out and basically just munch away straight away, so they're laying the eggs there. Chance of survival can be quite high. Can I just check, when they're born, though, they don't have the pink colour, do they, and they're getting it from the, the sponge that they're the sponge munching itself, on? yes. Yeah, very yes. cool. So the chance well, of survival is good, so I've, I've picked okay so far. Yep, and then uh, fish, is, yep. again, it depends what fish you are. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, if you're a molar, they can produce up to 300 million eggs a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Isn't it? Yeah. God, that's yeah. T- that sounds tiring, just knowing that. <laughs> but, I mean, look at the size of them. The eggs are small, the fish are big, they can <laughs> carry them around. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, again, they're, they're not sure of the survival rate with that, but that, as far as a reproduction strategy, is not the most um, you know efficient for survival. Because it's basically w- what is called in the trade broadcast spawning. You just put them all out there. Whoops. And then it off is. they go. It's like what we're doing. We're just broadcast, not spawning, we're broadcasting. <laughs> we're broadcasting, yes. <laughs> yes. Or you have fish like the gobble guts, and so they are ones that um, we find here in Victoria. They're little cardinal fish, and they're mouth brooders. So yep. they actually hold the eggs in their mouth, and there's only so many eggs you can fit in your mouth. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure kids are trying this at home today to see how many they can fit. But, you know, if you can be... a if you can get over 10, I reckon you'd be a gobble guts, but they can hold like a couple of hundred in their mouth. So one of the things I looked mm-hmm. into was like, you know, eggs, fascinating. And then I had a look, basically 99% of all animals lay eggs. So our method of reproduction is unusual or yes. it's not not unusual. It is not the most common, so no. to speak. Yep. So it got me going down the line of reproduction in general. And I did a bit of a biology 101 and just because I found this fascinating. So there's two ways of um, two forms of reproduction, asexual or sexual. Yep. Now, I don't know about you, Ant, the idea of asexual reproduction always fascinated me. You want to clone and yourself, do you? To do so. No, <laughs> I just love that other animals could do it. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so outside of our realms yeah, of totally. thought and our way of reproducing. So there's a few ways it's done for asexually is fission, mm-hmm. which is what anemones do, which they basically just split. So, you know, they become two which is a very intriguing way of oh, yeah. you know, getting yourself out there. There's budding. Yeah. This one I was always fascinated by. And so this is quite predominant in flatworms yep. because flatworms don't have a circulatory system or a respiratory system. It's yep. all done through their skin. So they can basically just, just pop break off one. a bit of their skin and then they're another. it's another one. Yep. Yeah. And away they go. Isn't that um, insane, kids? Seriously, like that is amazing. You just go, oh, just, I'll just take off a little piece of them, my little finger and there's a whole new me. Yeah, it was like, conditions are good today. Yeah. There's yeah, lots of food around. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's make more of me. Away I go. <laughs> and the other one's fragmentation. This one's fascinating. So sponges are a really great example of that where you, know, you can, uh, you know, the story goes, you put them in a blender and then put them out and then they'll just mm-hmm. settle and grow. So, like, again, you, know, you can make hundreds out of that sort of method. And then there's one that I hadn't, well, the term, let's see if I get this right, pathenogenesis. Pathenogenesis, absolutely. Yes, Yep. Virgin birth. Yep. 
Yeah. Did so you across this hand. Do you this know is new to me. that there are, and I know this is not very marine, but there are, it's usually conditions. It's usually yes. extreme conditions related. So if you're not unlikely to find a mate because you're in like the desert, so there's a whole lot of desert lizards even that do pathogenesis. So oh. essentially give birth to clones of themselves. So the entire population is female because the females can only do this and they give birth to little clones of themselves until they, um, they can replenish the genetic um, kind of, you know, I guess complexity by mating at some point. Is that yeah. not extraordinary? It's incredible. So bamboo oh. sharks are an example oh, yeah, right. of, of course, species that does that. Yes, yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. And the phenomenal thing, some species will, some will do it at the start of the breeding season yeah. and then reproduce sexually later. So it's like they're just, you know, hedging their bets yeah, by getting yeah, a few yeah. out early and yeah. then, you know, reproducing sexually later. So anyway, getting on to sexual reproduction. So there's sort of an internal and an external sort yeah. of um, reproduction. So internal, which, you know, this one I thought was, was basically where the male shed sperm over the egg. So the female will hold on to the eggs and then the male shed sperm. Now, a great example is our spider crabs yep. that we have. So the females can only mate after molting. And when they're ready, the female apparently produces pheromones that attracts the males to come in. Yep. So this is for crabs, implying this to spider crabs. They choose a mate and then they jump on their back. So they're like, oh, hang on, I'll get a ride. And basically stay there until they'll molt and then they'll actually wait for their shell to harden. They accept the sperm, they allow it to fertilise and then they basically, you know, keep the eggs on their yeah, body yeah. and keep them oxygenated and going, which increases their survival and then release you know, their young after that. It's sensational, then, isn't it? Oh, I know. Talk about the piggyback. So now you know what they're doing when they're piggybacking. They're not just having fun Yeah. because oh, people will comment take photos and that's what's going on. That's the yeah. female looking, hitching a ride and waiting for the right male. But it's very different to external fertilization or, as you said, broadcast, broadcast. morning. So very different method. So everyone knows about coral reefs and how they broadcast spawn and it's linked up to the moon and cycles and what have you. Um, what I found out is that it actually is done on different days. So different species will release eggs and sperm on different days so that there's no hybridization. The other one, great example. And, and I'll usually, I think, interestingly, that's synchronized to, you've got to have a cue to know what day it is. It's usually synchronized to the lunar cycle. It is in days after yeah, the full yeah, moon. Yeah, yes. yeah. So yeah. it's like yeah, it's this part of the lunar cycle is when these ones go off so that they don't cross over with those ones. And, you know, it's an extraordinary. Yeah. And there's no design in this. It's just happened by accident over many millions of years, but it's a very cool result. That's it. And so I'll finish up on this one. Yeah. So this is a local example of broadcast spawning, Snapper. So mm -hmm. everyone knows Snapper. There's a few tales about when they come into spawn. One is grand final day. <laughs> Uh, the one that I prefer is the indigenous area. That's the flowering of the tea tree yep. is when the snapper come in. But what they do, and there's been great documented footage of this in multiple states, is they will actually form like a gyre. So they'll actually get together and swim around wow. in circles and broadcast. It's like a centrifuge. Wow. And they will put eggs and sperm into it oh. to increase the chances of them basically meeting and come out. So they're cool. through the water column, 20 meter sort of, you know. Oh. Platforms of snapper spinning around, spawning in it. 
So a whole lot of fertilized eggs, and you know, then they're successful from there. So uh, I've, I've actually over-prepared for this segment now. I've got another segment for next time because <laughs> I was so pre- scared that I wouldn't have enough. <laughs> and, and, and that was just simply from us chatting about, hey, it's Easter, let's talk about eggs. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. And Love there's it. so much more. Floating and sinking was a game I was going to oh, play with you, which yeah, we'll save yeah, for another time. That's very cool. Um, very good fun. Hey, so I'll bring awesome. it with me next time, man. So, kids, when you're eating the eggs today and adults... You know, anyone. A, when you don't eat, be a gobble guts. Yeah, don't be a gobble guts. Like, you know, don't store them. Just eat them and swallow them. And you know, but there you go. You can. That's marine eggs. Indeed, you are on three triple R, and it is about eleven or twelve minutes to the hour of ten o'clock. Uh, the doctors will be amassing as we speak. And of course, um, I was gonna do the Jan and Dean. But I won't do that. Um, but I was doing it in the studio, and it would be safe to say that I could see Kent rocking out in the green room as well. Um, and we welcome, of course, to the microphone someone who needs no introduction, Jeff Maynard. Good morning. Good morning, Ant. How are you? I'm very well. This year, as we all know, or I hope we all know, I'm telling the history of diving using James Bond movies, which is the sort of corner I painted myself into <laughs> for some reason. And I really don't know why. But anyway. Here we go. And I I got a movie this time which is the most underwatery James Bond of all of them. In fact, I could do the whole history of diving using one Ooh, movie. Really? It's, it's, it's got everything in it. And the movie, of course, is Thunderball. It was released in 1965 following the enormously successful Goldfinger. Now, in Goldfinger, um, uh, James Bond sort of broke out from being just kind of a movie franchise to sort of a iconic movie franchise because he had the car with machine guns and That's an injector right. seat and the, yeah. the Aston Martin and, and that really and so they had to follow that up and they said well you know um, what, what, do, what you? do we do so um, how do they beat that was their problem so anyway they, they stuck James Bond in, uh, or Sean Connery in a, in a sort of wetsuit and a scuba <laughs> tank and chucked him in the water um, but scuba diving was relatively new in 1965 and um, and and it was visually exciting. Uh, so anyway, James Bond um, to get him to get James Bond out of the bar or out of the casino <laughs> or out of bed or whatever. They they needed an, a sort of a threat to world peace or someone. To, you know, they needed a bad guy who's going to blow everything up. Um, and, and in this case, uh, what happens is Spectre, of course, which is the uh, right. the baddie organisation. They hijack a jet carrying two nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's have a listen to the uh, first track. Okay, here we go. Here, take this, will you? What's the flap, Dawson? OBNASA, NATO training flight. Air traffic flashed as they lost it on radar, and we haven't been able to pick it up anywhere. Was she losing altitude when she went off the screen? Yes, sir, rapidly. We can't scan below 300 feet, and... Well, she may have gone down. Was she in trouble? Not according to the last scheduled report, which came from about here. She is armed, isn't she? Two atomic weapons, sir. MOS type. Get everything you can into the area. Thorough search. Notify the Admiralty at once. Top priority, absolute security. Ask them to contact Washington. Very good, sir. Do you think, you know, when they auditioned those guys, they said, we have one thing and that you must, you must sound terribly plump. I, they do, they do. They, 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 they sort of get these kind of tall, thin, grey-haired guys of about 55. Who very demonstrably went to you know, Yes, the world's yeah, about yes. to end. Um, you know, notify somebody or rather. But do get, stay calm. Yeah, and give me a cup of tea while you're out there. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bad guy is Emilio Largo, and he hijacks the plane with two, carrying two uh, atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
to uh, hide them or hide the plane so that all the authorities around the world can't find it. He lands it on the water and then sinks it in about uh, 10 metres of water in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's the way that they can't find it on the radar or anything uh-huh. to conceal it, and that's where we set up the whole underwatery thing. So the p- jet comes, the jet's hijacked because some pilot on board was a baddie. Uh, so so he lands it on the water and sinks it. So let's have a listen okay. to Emilio Lago listening to the jet come and land on the water, and uh, <laughs> he's ready to sort of go down and get the bombs. there anything else in sight? No, all clear. Switch on the underwater landing lights. Open the underwater hatch. Open underwater hatch. Stand by to winch in the submarine. Man the winches. Give these bomb fuses to Mr. Kutz. Right, sir. Get the submarine up quickly. And the bombs loaded in the containers. Oh, it's sinister already. Yeah, it's it's very sinister. The big part of any James Bond movie, of course, is when Q turns up and provides him with all his gadgets, you know. (laughs) And you had a problem here for the audience because uh, the audience didn't want to know, look, here, here, James, we've given you a scuba tank and some flippers and some face mask. Which at the time, as you pointed out, would have been very new. Would have been a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll actually get to that in a minute when I finally get around to the history part of the whole thing. but but what they do is uh, they give him an underwater Geiger counter so he can <coughs> swim around uh, in a watch. He can swim around and if he comes near nuclear bombs then he can say, oh, look at my watch is making noise. They give him a Nikonis 2, which is a pretty oh, standard sort yeah. of uh, underwater camera of the era. Um, and a sort of battery-powered thing that he sticks on his back and straps to his scuba tanks and zooms along. And um, that that's pretty much it. Um Oh, they have this under. Oh, they do have an actual. The baddies have this great underwater sled, which is a Cosmos two-man submersible. Hmm. I can tell you all about this because a friend in Sydney's just bought one and is Ooh. actually restoring it. It's a nineteen late nineteen wow. fifties. They sit on one. A sit on one. Oh. One of those underwater. They're they like, call them wet submarines. You yeah. Put your scuba gear. You sit on and you ride along underwater. And and they're uh, like tandem. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Italians made them for World War Two. The British huh. mimicked them. And then after the war, an Italian frogman actually started making them for commercial purposes. Oh, wow. And uh, there's various models, but uh, like I say, a friend in Sydney's just bought a late 1950s one, and he's um, pretty much got it 90% complete and restoring it. So when I go for a spin You'll on that, I'll yeah. come and um, circle back to James Bond. Anyway. I forgot where I was. I look at my notes. Anyway, Q comes in to brief James okay. Bond. Okay, back to Q. Back to and, Q. And James Bond being smart alecky and Q telling him to, you know, Buttonish. look after stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Ah, 007. What a wonderful surprise. Well, for me, too. I must say, I find this business of equipping you in the field, on the run, as it were, highly irregular. Now, here's something I want you to use with special care. Everything you give me. treated with equal contempt. Yes, I know, but that's an underwater camera. (laughs) Is that clever? If you can take pictures in the dark with an infrared film, yes. Now, in the event of a rebreather not being available, you can use this device. For short periods only, of course, say about four minutes. Clever. Obviously, you'll only use it as a last resort. Obviously. (laughs) 
And the other thing, it, it gives James Bond this little pencil size rebreather which i'm not quite sure it's how <laughs> just how made that up didn't yeah they? <laughs> yeah how are you going to make a rebreather of the size of a, a, a pen um now the interesting thing about um uh, thunderball yeah. is the use of the scuba equipment they use because it right. was, the mid-60s were a transition period now anyone who's looked at old movies will see aqualungs um, and the original twin hose aqualung yes. the regulator sat on the tank on your back on the back and, and you, you had, had two the mouthpiece big, yeah thick hoses that came over your shoulders and the reason for that was you had to equalize the air from where you inhaled it and where you expelled it hmm. when Cousteau originally uh, made an aqualung he had one hose coming from the regulator over his back into his mouth and he found when he swam horizontally it worked when he swam up or down oh. it didn't work if you're swimming to the up upright and the mouth was um, higher than the regulator on the back it free flowed when he was swimming oh. down and the mouth piece was lower than the regulator on the back uh, he couldn't draw the air in so they put the second hose from the mouthpiece back over so it, can, it makes a circuit yep. and goes all the way around and now an Australian Ted Eldred back in the 50s got around the patent by taking the regulator part off the tank on the back and actually put it in, put your, it mouth. in your mouth and you had one hose, and that became the single hose regulator. Which is now predominant. Which is yeah, now yeah, predominant, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. The French who had the Cousteau yeah. patent came to Australia, bought out uh, Ted Eldred's company, and they just replaced the twin hose model with the single hose mm. model, which everyone uses today, and was actually invented in Melbourne. But anyway, the butte thing about Thunderball is Emilio Largo's bad guys have black wetsuits and the old-fashioned twin hose regulators and you see them all with these big thick hoses james bond and all the cia guys that jump in the water they have orange wetsuits and single hose regulators so when james bond's swimming around with his knife he's cutting the regulators on the bad guys so so it's actually an interesting transition to have between the single hose and the twin hose regulators uh have we got oh you've got one more track one more track okay we've got to find that plane you won't find it down there that's the golden grotto golden grotto yeah all you find down there are sharks take it down i want a closer look Closer look at what? Never mind. Take it down quick. Settle down, Felix. I think we've found it. There's something camouflaged down there. <gasps> I'll take a look. <gasps> Shoot one of those sharks. It'll keep the others occupied. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, as you do. And, and so you couldn't actually explain to the people all about scubas and all that sort of stuff. So you basically go to the old uh, film standard and I'll, I'll jump into sharks and uh, James Bond. So we'll shoot a shark, keep the other ones occupied and uh, James Bond finds the uh, plane with the bombs on board, as he would. Oh, oh, no, it's sensational. And I love that that, that for you was that tra- film where the transition between the double hose yeah. and the yeah. single hose became public. Became public. Yeah, it yeah, became yeah. like, it here's the new fantastic. innovation. Here's this guy in Melbourne made this thing and now James Bond's wearing it. Yeah, exactly. That is sensational. Thank you very much, uh, Jeff. Welcome. Love it. Love it. Kay, did you have any questions for Jeff while we still have him? Oh, no, I've just learned far too much for an Easter <laughs> Sunday. I should go back and eat some chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got the music playing underneath there. Um, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming in and um, and uh, enlightening us of James. And the, um, the we're going to continue through the history of diving, but the challenge is now we're up to scuba, so I want to see where it goes oh, from here. Oh, well, yeah, we've still got to do rebreathers. Yes. And, and, and those little under- 
lot the of pen chariot things. Ones. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, no, no. We've There's got, lots to go. Okay. Yeah, James yeah. is uh, flexible. Um, and next week, Cade, you and Farm are in. Bron's having a couple of weeks off, which is why she's not here today, and she won't be having next week off as well. But you and Farm are in. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.